Come with us as we do a deep dive into human behavior. This is the science of us. Join your hosts, neuroscientist Katerina Kuhn, Tim Mullen, and editor and senior producer Jean-Claude Rad, as we delve into who we are, how we behave, and why. Time to dive in. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our very first episode of The Science of Us. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be joined here by none other than Katerina Kuhn, uh, who's the Chief Strategy Officer at The Winning Group, also one of APAC's leading neuroscientists. Now, we're going to be talking a little bit about today, really to try and uncover our deepest emotional drivers, a lot about how we behave in general. So it forms the foundation of a lot of what we'd like to talk about in, in future episodes as well. So without further ado, welcome, Kat. Mm, hi, Tim. Now, for those of uh, people out there who don't know you, could we start with a little bit of background on yourself? Well, going all the way back, uh, growing up in Germany with two psychotherapist parents, <laughs> I guess I always good education. had <laughs> yeah, very good education, um, got used to asking the why behind behavior, I guess, very early on. And that led me to later on study, you know, all sorts of sciences to do with explaining human behavior, starting with the sociology perspective, as we are social beings, how do we interact in group and we don't act in a vacuum. So understanding human behavior from that perspective, then marketing. And then in my studies came across um, Dr. Häusel, one of the German neuroscience pioneers at the time, working with neuroscience for business. And I was fortunate enough to start um, working and training with him directly in his team. Uh, and so that led, led, me, led me later on to the career uh, I've pursued. Awesome. And going back a, a step, I, I have to ask, what were the dinner conversations like, uh, the dinner table conversations like with your parents? <laughs> Interesting, I would say, non-standard. Um, sometimes as a child, I, I wish that my parents could just be normal and, and punish me in normal ways like normal parents do. I remember one time when I was um, 13, um, we're, at a, we're at a party uh, from my parents' friends and we were in the basement, you know, a group of wild teenagers and we got a little drunk and my mum found me and uh, drove me home and uh, we had an incident on the drive home and then in the morning of course it's not you already feel bad enough and um but that wasn't enough for them rather than giving me the per no permission to watch tv or something like that we had to sit down and analyze why i did it whether i would intend to do it again what the experience was wow. like and so on and i think that cured me for years um, yeah that's an education for you <laughs> yes. something you think modern day parenting should should adopt or well, in hindsight, I have to say, growing up like that, especially as a teenager, it's, it can be quite confronting. Um, but now I'm definitely extremely grateful to my parents um, for giving me that kind of questioning, curious mind into our behavior, because that's what I love doing now, looking at human behavior, understanding the why behind it. And so, yeah, I, I thank them today. Well, on that note, so if we can break down neuroscience a little bit for the, I guess, the everyday person, because not everyone knows what neuroscience is, how it works. Can you give us a little bit of background about what it actually is? So essentially, of course, neuroscience is the science of understanding how our brain works, including you know, anatomy, biology, chemistry, and how that influences our cognitive and, and emotional processes to ultimately explain you know, who we are and why we behave the way we do. Excellent. And is there, is there a specific example? I mean, how is neuroscience actually used today in all of the different disciplines? Is there a specific example you can give as to what that, that actually looks like? 
So I can just talk about using neuroscience for business, right, which is what we do here, um, where anywhere where there are brains involved, basically there's a, a, a place for neuroscience to, uh, to inform what's really going on behind the scenes. So whether we use it for understanding our own employees, our teams, our team dynamics, or uh, ourselves, or our customers, and why they behave the way we do, right through to actually understanding brand positioning in the sense that brands, of course, are associative constructs in people's minds and understanding how that comes about and how can we can influence those perceptions. Again, there's a place for studying that by looking inside the brain rather than using traditional methods of asking people what they think and why they think because we now know through neuroscience as well that that approach has extreme limitations since people yeah. are largely unaware of what's going on. And if people are unaware of what's going on, so have brands sort of use that where they've tapped into that subconscious level to try and motivate someone to buy something, for instance? Yeah, to buy something, to buy into an idea, to vote for someone. I think we've had some recent examples where companies and um, agencies are becoming smarter and smarter at tapping into uh, the science of emotion and cognition and exploiting that basically to... Uh, activate certain triggers in consumers and in voters um, to get the desired outcomes because that's the one thing that um, has been proven over and over now is that this approach is far more effective than trying to speak to the rational conscious mind of the consumers. It's, this is not the part of the brain that actually controls uh, decision making and behavior. And I think you also gave me an example about was it wine, something to do with selling wine? You said that there was a, an experiment yeah. done a little while ago. Can, can you remind me about that story? That's a lovely experience, uh, experiment that actually demonstrates how much more powerful neuroscience research is when compared to traditional methods, which is where researchers experimented with um, music being played on the supermarket shelf and how that would influence buying decisions on right. the shelf. And what they did is they tried to um, see whether German wine sold better when playing German music and French wine when uh -huh. playing French music. And that is exactly what happened. So when French music was played, French wine outsold a German wine three by one and vice versa. And the interesting part, of course, when we're asking people at the, at the checkout in the supermarket why they made the decision they made, they're extremely good at coming up with all sorts of reasons but they never are aware of the real reasons because in fact none of the respondents was aware of music even, music even being played at the shelf. And I think that is just one very powerful example where we can start to appreciate how much those subliminal environmental cues actually influence our behavior with us, without us being even remotely aware yeah. of that. And a lot of this hasn't really changed. Am I right in sort of over the hundreds and hundreds of years of human development and evolution, a lot of this stuff in the way our brain works relatively remains the same. Absolutely, and I think that's a, a refreshing antidote to the story of, oh, people have changed and, you know, generations have changed and the world is moving so fast. And, but really, humans haven't changed that much at all in their general basic design. So the primal emotion systems that guide largely our behavior today are ancient and exist, actually exist in all mammals. And, and uh, so they're hardwired, they're old systems that guide our behavior, that filter our perceptions, and that is part of the study of neuroscience, behavior, and personality to really understand what those emotional systems are and how they influence who we are and how we behave. And so it sounds like, from what you're saying, that we, we really don't know ourselves that well. 
what what are the main things you think we're missing when it comes to trying to get that understanding of who we are? Yeah, I think we all do have a sense that we do know ourselves, right? Like I know who I am and what I like and what I don't like and what my style is and so on. But I think that's exactly what the brain does. It enables a sense of self. But I would say it rather constructs it than it, it's, it, that it is an actual thing. And the neurophilosopher Daniel Dennett um, speaks about the user illusion in that context. And he says that human consciousness is like a government spokesperson <laughs> that actually is there to announce decisions it hasn't been part of making mm -hmm. and is completely unaware of the true reasons for the decisions as well. And I think right. that is pretty true for our self-awareness as well. I think we see in our behavioral cues, or our preferences, um, the expression of our underlying emotions while being completely unaware of those primal emotion systems we spoke about that bring about that behavior or that motivation, the drive and the psychological needs in the first yeah. place. And so neuroscience is obviously a way that we can use, or a technique that we can use to actually better understand ourselves. I mean, how, how can we actually use it? And I know that there are many other personality profiling tools or whatever you'd like to call them out there. What's the role of neuroscience in that in terms of helping us better understand who we are? Yeah, I think we're at the fortunate point now that we actually get to look inside the brain, get to understand how neurochemistry, anatomy, uh, and so on influence our, who we are and how, how we decide the way we do. Where in the past we had to rely on from horoscopes to personality yeah. quizzes, Myers-Briggs and, and the likes, which is not bad, but neuroscience takes it a step further and really says, okay, so who are we at the genetic fundamental level and then how does cognitive functioning come into that to shape who we are of course it's very complex and there are many influencing factors um, but neuroscience opens a completely new window into into that understanding about ourselves and I think I mean you're totally right that we are constantly trying to figure out who we are as individuals I know you've mentioned uh, horoscopes I've bought into that sort of stuff before I like to look at how that how it makes me who I am and how I interact with somebody else but I guess, I mean, that comes down to if we are searching for this really deep understanding of ourselves, empathy is another thing that comes up a lot today, particularly in the workplace. You know, how well do we understand other people around us? How can we put ourselves in their shoes? Um, so I guess, you know, now in today's age, and especially as I said, in the workplace, it needs to be something that is developed. But what are your kind of thoughts on that? How can we actually develop more empathy? And I know you, I know you have a particular passion for this. Yeah, that passion came about by really looking around us in the world today. And I think we are in the middle of an empathy crisis. And mm. we see that in politics. We see that in our normal so social environment that we live in a time and place of increased polarization where, yeah. you know, we look for sameness, not otherness. And everything that's other than ourselves, we tend to turn out, uh, tune out on. And, yep. and I think we see that in the workplace in the same way. And, and the result of that, and I mean, it's not actually, as humans, we do have a great capacity for empathy and we are naturally empathetic beings. That's why we can be so great at collaboration and nurturing and so on. And that's get, gotten us very far as a species. But the time and place we live in of you know, technology and increased polarization and we're becoming more busy and less patient doesn't really help to take a step back and listen to each other and take a moment to reflect uh, on ourselves and other people. And so I think that has given rise to that empathy crisis we're, we're seeing in the world today. And um, so, so I think the, the way to address this is to take a step back and give people a tool 
uh, to stop and get a deeper insight into themselves. And by doing that, get a deeper insight into other people as well. Because mm. once we understand ourselves, we understand that we have unique reality filters we're navigating our environments with and that not everybody is the same. And once we understand that, we can't really judge that in others, but rather probably appreciate the, di the differences and actually work together mm. um, to combine those strengths rather than becoming frustrated at otherness, which I think is something we're seeing a lot at, at the moment. When I think onto that point, you mentioned politics before, um, how I guess a lot of people don't necessarily want to recognize what other people believe in. It's just this one train of thought. And I guess, in many extents, people have probably abused that a little bit and, and manipulated people into believing a certain thing a certain way. I don't know if you, you know, what your thoughts are specifically on mm. things like social media, which may have had more of a negative impact in, in a lot of cases as opposed to the positive impact they were supposed to create in the first place. I think the dangerous thing we're seeing in the world today is that, yes, it is emotions that largely rule our decision-making, but that by way of the human design, we're unaware of those emotions. Mm. Um, but increasingly, there are people who specialize in understanding and tapping into those emotions. And that's exactly what we're seeing now, that those who understand other people better than those people understand themselves, yep. basically hold the power to direct decision making. Mm. And we're seeing that, I mean, multiplied by technology now, because uh, if you have the technology and talking about social media, as you touched on it, you're suddenly scaling that influence where yeah. before it relied on one-on-one -on -one communication, but now you can actually scale that mass influence by tapping into emotions. And is there any, way. are you surprised in the sense to see this rise of tribalism across the world off the back of a lot of, I guess, some of these techniques that people are using? Is it, is it tapping into something inherently that exists within all of us? And that's why people like Trump, et cetera, can actually really make use of that with their fan base. Yeah, I think we humans are always, we have a desire to belong, we have a desire to connect, we have a desire for, for trust, and it is easier to trust people who are more like us. So mm. the whole us-them thing is as old as human nature. I don't think there's anything new in that. But the exploitation of that to a certain outcome from very powerful players in this world, I think that's reached a new level. But as you say, it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't tapping into something that we are very much prone to um, fall into that trap. Yeah, to, and I think it's always very easy to, you know, as we've talked about in the past, to gravitate towards people that you feel that connection with and understanding, even though you could get a lot more benefit out of recognising that and that one person that may not be the same as you, but you could actually get on very well and complement each other in so many ways. I think uh, Kari Anderson, who's done a lot of studies into that, she gives the example of somebody at a party who's looking awkward and in the corner by themselves and that's somebody you should actually seek out to talk to because you never know what you could actually uncover as part of that relationship as opposed to going and joining the click group that you're uh, you just feeling comfortable with yeah I think that's a great idea um, and I think I'm going to make that my mission at the next networking thing because <laughs> I hate networking for the sake of it. But if you actually have that mission to go to the most awkward looking person in the room, then I think that could be fun. And I think that would exactly do what we need to see more of in the world today now, yeah, which is a right. dialogue um, um, across completely different individuals. So, and I guess on this notion of, I guess, trying to be a bit better in ourselves, 
can neuroscience actually help people become better versions of themselves? Insofar probably as understanding can influence our behavior, right? So that's why I'm putting a big asterisk because we know that humans can be very good at understanding everything and then nevertheless acting in stupid ways, right? Yeah. Whether that's it, that is I want to lose weight but I'm finding myself eating that cookie or whether that is I know that driving a fast car is bad for the environment but I love it right now and I'll do it anyway yeah so we're very very paradoxical uh, contradictory beings and just because you understand something doesn't mean we can necessarily change our behavior but on the other hand I think in on that topic there is no way around understanding yeah. it first because if we of course we could say let's just manipulate people into behaving better but then it's always just the best manipulator who wins and I don't think that's a very inspiring vision for the future of humanity yeah. so I think uh, the way forward has to be creating a deeper insight into ourselves by using that amazing new science neuroscience and using technology to enable that um, and so I'm super excited to be working on a non-for-profit platform at the moment that actually will provide people Fantastic. with a greater insight into themselves because I do think that is uh, at least one small contribution to, to better those conditions we've been speaking about. And if you look more closely, I think, uh, I think we'd love to drill into that probably at a, at a future date. But with, the, with the, the likes of the workplace now and how you can actually use neuroscience to better understand one another, if we come back to that sort of empathy point we are talking about before, have you got specific examples about how you've been doing that yourself within something like the winning group? Yeah, well, I think that's the great thing in a workplace. You can almost treat it like a small subsection of humanity, right? And in our small business of a thousand people can actually say, okay, let's use this as a testing ground uh, of how we can use that understanding to have, actually have better conversations. And that's what we've been doing here for the last three years at the winning group that we um, first step was to actually... Um, collect and share with everyone their own personality profiles, including okay. their core emotions that drive them, what motivates them, what they find difficult, what they're actually looking for. And, and then in a second step, train up everyone in the team to understand uh, not only their own um, personality, but the personality of those around them. Because, of course, a business has every personality that there is on the planet. And, yep. so, and so seeing the team actually gaining a greater understanding over time and using that understanding to collaborate more effectively and to solve problems in better and more creative ways has been just wonderful. And more recently, I feel like it's become second language for us where a manager, for example, called me in the kitchen the other day and said, I've been butting heads with that, um, my team member for ages now until I actually remembered you said, hey, look at their profile. I went wow. back into the system, looked at the profile. I actually found that it was the opposite profile of himself and then read up on how to actually deal with that, how okay. to talk to that person. Yeah. He was like, wow, that was so eye-opening because that person has a completely different filter on reality than I have. I realized that in that moment. We used that. And we've found an amazing solution for, for the problem we've been having for months and couldn't solve. And I found that incredibly uh, rewarding and, and encouraging um, to you know, keep spreading that knowledge exactly for that purpose because it's not only in business problem solving. I think it mm. will solve a whole lot of problems if people can, can become more aware of that. Totally. I mean, just that, that pure understanding of what motivates somebody else is rather than just focusing on what you want as an, out of an outcome of a conversation or whatever it might be. And I think that we are... 
we're so traditionally wired to go into a conversation trying to get out of it what we want as opposed to trying to understand what the other person is wanting out of that same conversation. Yeah. So I think it's fascinating. So with the workplace obviously in mind as a place to start, maybe if I can sort of change tact a little bit and say when it comes to then the broader scene in terms of that understanding, but what do you think we're most at risk of when it comes to um, the human race in general? We've talked a lot about the differences of being able to better understand yourself and understand others what do you see as the fundamental flaws that we might then therefore have based on what we know now for the future of the human race? It's just a small question, I know. <laughs> it's just a very small question to finish off on. Um, uh, well, I think one of the major risks we have is that being ever more advanced and being ever more intelligent and becoming ever more informed doesn't necessarily make us kinder or yep. wiser. And I think that's a lot of the problems we're seeing now. You know, we have all the... Uh, technologies on the planet we can soon fly to the mars we have artificial intelligence we've got neuroscience and so on but we haven't actually become better at making wise decisions yeah. that improve the greater good right so we can see that when it comes to climate change we see that when it comes to politics like all over the place we see the same thing and i'm worried that if we don't solve that we'll just take the same human condition to mars and nothing will change we'll just yeah. repeat the same pattern over and over yeah. so i think that is the major challenge for humanity to grow up in that sense and to um yeah just not repeat the same patterns but becoming ever more powerful on this planet and meanwhile eradicating other species and so on along the way well there you go i think it's uh would you say you're then an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to the, the future? I'm an optimist because that's my natural bias. I, I know about that. Um, but I think you do need to be an optimist as well because, uh, I mean, what, what are we going to do if we just say we, we can't do anything about it, we, we can't change anything, then we might as well die right now. So I, I choose to remain an optimist as well. Um, but, of course, I'm also realistic about knowing what we just spoke about, how much does actually knowledge influence how mm. we truly behave. I think we've got a long way to go there, but I'm very committed to helping at least with that first step of creating a greater understanding and then hopefully getting other smart people involved to say, okay, how do we translate that into behavior? Well, Kat, thank you so much. I very much enjoyed the conversation as always. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Kat and, and her work, yeah, you can look her up on LinkedIn, of course. Also head to our website, at uh, helix.com that's with a double e uh, and you can look at some of the work that she does with us directly there and um, we will also put in the show notes uh, some uh, some of those links to some of the things that uh, she's talked about in the show and also to her profile but kat for now thank you so much for joining us thanks so much Tim. Of us, and uh, yeah we'll see you on the next one <laughs> that's it for this episode of the science of us if you'd like to learn more about any of our guests head to the website or check out the show notes we'll see you next time on the science of us.